0: Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E. Patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Hello, welcome back to Coral Chihuahua. And today you have three for the price of, well, none at all really. Uh, Eamon uh, from Sussex, uh, Nicholas, Sammy uh, in South London and me in York. Hello chaps. Evening. Evening. Beautifully coordinated. Uh, Let's play the jingle. It's a Morales thing. And as penultimate chords go, that's quite a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we were going to. Uh, someone needs to say yes. That's, <laughs> Sammy, that's going to. Be, <laughs> it's going to be you. I hate going down the line. This is dreadful. It was so nice, and we could be in the room. Never mind that little jingle that we've been using on Korochubawa um, for a, for a few weeks is in fact from a new CD, and uh, we're going to we're going to refer to that at the end. But this this Lenten episode, Sammy, do the joke.
3: So Lent is obviously French for slow and English for fast.
0: You sent me that last note, and I thought I don't last night, and I just I don't understand that. I Don't know what he means. I sat there
2: thinking I don't get it, and then I got it.
3: What I really enjoyed is Robert emailed saying I didn't get this. Oh no, I did. All in the same, all in the same email. Uh, anyway, we're going to start. In fact, not
0: quite with Lent. Um, in this episode, when we've a little bit of familiar, but quite a lot of unfamiliar. Given that you can be um. Niche on Coral We've got. Uh, we're going to start with with um, with pre Lent though. Who who celebrates Carnival? Not as part of the church year, but it is the period between Christmas and Lent. I just looked it up on Wikipedia, and it said it's the four days before Lent. But in Venice, it was much longer. It was after Christmas right up uh, until until Lent, uh, and Venice doubled in size. Apparently, well, not the actual town, but the number of inhabitants doubled. It was a huge thing, as it, as it is now. And and we've got a piece from 1590. It's a mask. It's a mask of the Friulians from Giovanni Croce, who uh, was a Venetian composer. He was from Kioja, uh, and he became a, a chorister and then a, a, a lay clerk at, uh, at St Mark's Venice, and eventually um, the master of the choristers. He wasn't entirely a, a approved of when he went for the the job at St Mark's. One of the proc- procurators, that's easy for me to say, um, complained about young persons. Who have gone about like mercenaries to sing in churches, celebrations, and banquets, frequently carousing at fountains, singing canzonettas with a glass of wine in hand. Well, here's Crutch's Mask of the Friulians. Uh, And let's let's play that in.
1: Apud <speaking in Spanish> terrae <speaking in Spanish> <speaking in Spanish> Misconduct, misconduct, and belly belly
0: The, the Mask of the Friulians. Fri- 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 Friulians, I'm not having much luck today. Um, uh, performed by Eva Jolie. It's 21 years old, that disc. I think neither of you gentlemen on it, but Robin Tyson, as we were just saying, Stephen Carter, uh, James Gilchrist, uh, Nicholas Hundle Smith, Matthew Brook, Giles Underwood, and Elijah Quintero strumming away. But you've, you've sung in that,
2: haven't you, Eamon? I have a few times, actually. Very fond memories of performing that uh, in an, uh, an Easter programme at Cadogan Hall. I remember the first half, uh, we did some of the Gesualdo uh, uh, responsories uh, and then by you know, complete contrast, the sort of joyful chaos of these uh, crochet masks. I do remember that just being great fun, though, and, and trying to make sure that I was able to burp in one of the rests at an appropriate moment or inappropriate moment.
0: Oh yes, I forget that was 2005, wasn't it? Uh, a long time ago. Well, as we were saying, Sammy, lucky you not to have uh, done that one, but it was good fun. Look, let's uh, let's go straight on um, to a piece by Dawn Walters, who's a uh, first a Lenten piece by Dawn, uh, who's um, she's currently an undergraduate, a mature student, undergraduate at the University of York, but she's been a composer a long time, uh, based in East York. It's piece called Pro Dolorosa Eus Passione, for the sake of his sorrow, passion, sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and the whole world. Uh, and it's, she says it's from the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. I didn't know what a chaplet was, but she says it's a Roman Catholic prayer written by a Polish nun, Faustina Kowalska. It's usually said with prayer beads and could also be used by Anglicans. <laughs> she also adds, I'm not Roman Catholic, by the way. <laughs> Pro Dolorosa Eos Passione by Dawn. Walters, sung by the Swan Consort, Onita Data Directing. Ailsa Campbell, Luthien Brackett, Robin Data, Sam Gilead, Stuart O'Hara. A good York group there. We're going to move on to Poulenc uh, and and his, well, what we call it. We, we call them, do we call them the Lenten Motets in English? Yeah, I think so. But, but their French title is Motet pour un temps de pénitence. And that's sort of assumed that it means Lent. But actually, um, I remember talking to Peter McGeary about this at one of those um uh, Fran Steele Maison Verte courses in France. And he said, he said that the motets aren't liturgically correct uses of the text, fineame, atristis ex, tenebre, etc. Um, if they were intended for tenebre, for example, they would have to have been corrected. Um, he says they're not strictly Lenten texts either. So he thinks that the, the English title is wrong. And he says that Un Temps de Pénitence, because these are written very late or published very late 1938 or early 39, struck me not as referring to Lent, but to the eve of war. Seems that Poulak was taking texts from the liturgy and using them in a broader contemporary context in a country, dreading another catastrophic, uh, catastrophic conflict. And certainly the last one of the set, which I just think is, true, is it's a tone poem, isn't it?
2: Well, yeah, that's what you said. The descriptive qualities of all four of them uh i think are really really striking they're so different each one of them and we had a bit of back and forth didn't we about which of these to play yeah. and, and i know you were you were pushing for the fourth um but i'm quite glad that we've i've managed to persuade you that uh that number two is what we're going to play number two uh because that's, that's my that's my favorite um vinia mea electa um, and the text of this one is, "My chosen vine, it is I who have planted you. How then have you become so bitter that you would crucify me and set Barabbas free?" And these, the lush opening harmonies, uh, I just find them to be really full of uh, love and affection, uh, despite the the betrayal that's uh, that's that's going to follow. Pulak uses these block dynamics a lot of the time, which sometimes I can find a little challenging or a bit too prescriptive. But I think in this instance, they really uh, they carry such emotional weight with them and they pull us between these two extremes of the sweetness and the bitterness.
0: And you, you, um, you chose the piece, so I got to choose the performance. And this is the Bavarian Radio Chorus with Peter Dijkstra.
3: He's so distinctive, isn't he, Poulank? It just couldn't be by anybody else that piece.
2: You only need to hear two notes, two beats worth to know to know that it's him.
3: It's incredibly
0: angular at times. And and I'm doing some with my um masters in solo voice ensemble singing at the moment, doing a soir de neige. And some of it is much easier just to copy once you know the tune than it is to read off the page. Double sharps, he's got his own very distinct way of, of trying to make the harmony look right on the page, and it is confusing at times.
3: I used to stand next to a guy at Windsor who used to complain about Poulain's music. It's just written the piano. It's just not vocal music at all. It's just piano chords. Oh,
2: but I don't think that's true at all. I mean, you've just got to listen to that performance where they're really going for it at times. You know, he really lets you sing. But then you've got to have the the facility to to rein it right back and he's not obvious all the time so when he says Amaritudinem, bitterness uh he doesn't set it in a harsh angular fashion it's set with this sort of regret it's it's a sort of baleful regretful look isn't it
0: that's quite subtle that because you you you'd always expect a composer to be fired by particular words and you know a criticism one could level a lot of Italian magic lists. in fact was leveled Italian magicals in the 1580s was that they were just doing magicalisms and when you when you bring it back to something that's so personal
2: as the as the way that's set there I think it's very effective. It's quite a nice riposte to I've got this quote here uh, that when uh, Poulak, when he was 18 he applied to the uh, Paris Conservatoire and was rejected and the director <laughs> wrote to him he said your music stinks it's nothing but a load of balls are you trying to make a fool of me? Ah, I see you have joined the gang of Stravinsky, Saty and Co. Well, then I'll say goodbye. <laughs> Lovely. Say what I'm, you mean. I see what you mean, but uh, it didn't put him off, did it?
3: What was it they used to say about Poulenc or his music that he was half rascal, half monk? It's such a brilliant description of of the way he kind of straddles two sides of the sacred and the really quite profane, isn't
0: it? Yeah, that was Claude 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 Rostand apparently trying to draw attention to the polarity between his catholic faith and other aspects of the character but isn't that what gives those things the strength to have something so personally expressive
2: he straddles both of those worlds and yet you know musically he stays pretty consistent throughout you know whether it's one of his sort of piano pieces or these mot- you know these lenten motets that we're talking about the sound world is always exactly the same
3: it's true isn't it even the operas which are which range from kind of absurd and surreal to the incredible kind of tragedy of uh Carmelites. it's very much the same harmonic language isn't it it's completely individual and distinctive
0: we're going to move from from choral to something a little bit different now um sammy this was your idea wasn't it take us we're in we're in holy week now aren't we is this good friday totally
3: different tradition so this is this is any time really in holy week um comes from personal experience really I want to take you back to about 1993 I um, don't want to reveal how old I am but um, I visited Spain for the first time the south of Spain it, during Holy Week we used to do that as a, a school Spanish exchange and it's amazing those those of us who've toured to Spain in Holy Week will remember the penitentes which look like sort of Ku Klux Klan hoods um, that populate the processions that the, that the Spaniards do especially down in the south during Holy Week and the kind of musical uh, element of these processions is twofold really? There's the marcha, which is a sort of marching band with percussion and uh, trumpets. Uh, pretty rudimentary; it's not it's not very sophisticated music. And then there's the other thing, which is what I wanted to think about today a little bit, which is um, called la saeta. Now, for etymologists amongst us, it comes from the Latin sagitta which means arrow. Um, but it's it's a Basically an a cappella f- flamenco-inspired um lamentation for the death of Christ on the cross or the the anguish of Mary uh, at the foot of the cross. And it draws together, this song we're gonna hear, draws together a few different traditions. Um the sort of you'll hear that the vocal tradition is very much flamenco, very much rooted in the south of Spain, in the Cantejondo, which is the sort of deep song of of really the gypsies in the south of Spain. The text of this one, though, is by a poet called Antonio Machado, and we're back with Morales in oh, yes. Seville. Um, yeah, well, w-
0: when we were there just a few weeks ago, we we found his statue, didn't we?
3: Indeed, yeah. Um, and so this is a text called, that's uh, just called La Saeta, um, which is a, a beautiful text about um, how the saeta sings the Christ of the gypsies, always with blood on his hands, always trying to... Um, get down from the cross. ¿Quién me presta un una escalera para quitarle los clavos a Jesús el uh, Gitano, who will lend me um a step ladder to go up and bring Jesus down from the cross. Um it's an amazing well, it was an amazing experience for a sort of wide eyed scouse teenager back in those days to hear this completely otherworldly music um sung basically from a balcony above where they carry the, the cross through the streets uh, of a small Andalusian town. So it's it's a really extraordinary thing. It's very much part of of the of Spanish kind of Lenten musical culture, I suppose. And like I say, just as something a little bit different for the listeners today. <laughs>
0: that's uh, that goes back
2: to him and me talking about commitment yeah <laughs> and then some and that's actually part of the procession is it
3: so what what normally happens is that they they, they take these floats with this, a crucifixion scene or or a scene from the foot of the cross they carry them on the shoulders of these uh, of the townsfolk basically and arrive at the church and that someone is waiting at the church to sing that kind of thing it's amazing sort of spectacle. It's,
2: I mean it's just extraordinary the like echoes of R and b and soul in there as well it's uh, I, like just from a vocal sense it's, it's the same throughout there's no sense of a kind of change of register the higher it goes just the, the more the more it gets
3: Yeah there's a lot of um, a lot of intensities in there and, and in, as you say intent um it, you can hear the flamenco influence and one of the things about flamenco is this kind of altered state of, of kind of um, expressive ecstasy. That, they, that the performers kind of try to generate for themselves. You can hear that in that. I think one of the things to say is that the actual song, when the sort of rock band came in at the end, um, that's by a guy called Juan Manuel Serrat, who's the sort of national songwriter, if you like, of Catalonia. Um, and so you've got this this kind of confluence of different parts of Spain, different traditions, um, and this that sort of chorus that we heard towards the end. Oh, no eres tú me cantar. No puedo cantar ni quiero. I don't want to sing No, no nor can I, of this Christ on the cross, but I want to sing of, about the Christ who walked on water. So this kind of lyric's talking about a better time, let's see. Um, and also, interestingly, if you like that sort of thing, da, 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 that sort of rising melody is the same as their and the same as their Lisa from The Passions. So <laughs> you're never very far away, are
2: you? So almost as if we might have some episodes about Bach
3: coming up Oh, well, I'm glad you mentioned those, Eamon. <laughs>
2: yes, yeah, that's that's that. our
0: next couple of episodes. Actually, will take us nicely into to Passion Tide. We're going to stay. Which we're going to go back to earlier in Lent now. Uh, Lamentations. We we nearly called this episode not the Talus Lamentations, because Eamon, you come up with a what a really off the wall one here. Who was who was Ernst Krennick?
2: Yes, well, so Ernst Krenek uh, was an Austrian composer. Um, and uh, this is so. I so I bought this recording back in the days when you know one would browse in a in a record store. You know I used to sp- spend hours you know in HMV uh, on on Oxford Street uh, just you know looking through recordings. And I I, th- I came across this a nice uh, eye-catching uh, cover of a recording by uh, the RIAS Camercore with Marcus Creed. And just, it just just
0: throw in at this point RIAS. Radio in Americanischer Sektor. There's a Cold War name for a choir. Radio in
2: the American sector, Berlin. I
3: didn't know that's what it was for.
2: Nor yeah. did I. Thank you. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, and conducted nowadays by uh, our good friend Justin Doyle. Mm. Um, Ernst Krennic. The only thing I knew about Krennic, uh was uh, his opera, Johnny Spielt Auf. I remember having to write an essay about it uh, in my first year at university. And so I'd heard you know bits fit. and i was expecting something that would be in a uh, a similarly sort of romantic or, or jazz tinged vein uh, but i was very very wrong about that um johnny was, was composed in 1924 and was it it was a huge success um, but it led to krennic being labeled a degenerate composer uh, by the nationalist socialist party who were uh, growing in popularity then and when the nazis came to power in 1933 uh, they decreed that not a note of krennic's music uh, would be allowed to be played so he was uh, compelled to emigrate to America in 1938, uh, and there he taught to earn a living. Um, and he, I think he found this very hard. He was cut off from his friends. Uh, he didn't have the support uh, or inspiration of his fellow composers, and his future looked pretty bleak and uncertain. Um, to support his uh, his his uh, his work, he, he began to study the history of music, and he developed a particular interest in the music of Ochcombe, Uh, And that sort of began to bear fruit uh, in these Lamentations, which he composed. Let's
0: just just place Ocicam. So this is second half of the 15th century. Um, uh, Wrote a requiem, wrote masses with extraordinary uh, mensuration canons and games. Uh, Wrote a mass called Cuyus Vistoni, which could be in any one of the four modes, depending on how you sing it. So intense early Renaissance stuff.
2: Yeah, and you can really see that influence in this. Um, he wasn't writing to a specific commission. He didn't have any assurance that they would ever be performed or indeed that any of his music would ever be performed again uh, in his homeland. So when I got the CD back home, I put them on, and I've got to say I found them really challenging um, and kind of put them aside for some time. But periodically I, I pick the CD up off the shelf and have another listen, and they keep drawing me in. Um, I don't often listen to more than one lesson at a time. Um it's maybe interesting to note that the score is presented without bar lines, uh, much as you know, the music would have been uh, in Ockham's time, um, and it's this sense of the the vocal writing. It's, it's very polyphonic in that sense. The the way the lines interplay. There are occasional quotes of bits of plain chant, but it has a very medieval and Renaissance feel to it, uh, despite the fact that it's it's uh, it has a, a serial structure behind it.
0: You've got you've got serial writing mixed with that polyphony but it's it's I mean I wouldn't say it's tonal but there's chords and dissonance and the way the thing sort of goes in and out of phase of of dissonance and moments of consonance without there being any sort of key to hold on to is it's kind of dream
2: world isn't it yeah it is and uh, to this day I still don't know quite what I think about it so I wanted to play it and uh, share it with you guys and also to everyone else and uh, perhaps you could let us know your thoughts and uh, this is this is a big piece, this is fifty minutes or so.
0: Where are we and um, where we're gonna hear this a little bit now?
2: So we are in the uh lecture with this is Good Friday, and it's the third lesson uh, of Good Friday. Each of the sections starts uh with one of the Hebrew letters, and this is Aleph. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the nod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he is turned. He turned his hand against me all the day. Lamentatio Jeremie Profete by Ernst Krennick from the set for Holy Saturday, uh, The Third Lesson. That's the Rias Kamakor, conducted by Marcus Creed. You got a date on those, Eamon? On the recording?
0: No, 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 um, when they were
2: written. Yeah, he began composing them
0: in 1941. Well, after seeing what was, or knowing, reading about, I suppose, what was happening to his homeland. No, not to... Say why he was writing them, but uh, I, I just love. I would love to sing those. It would be a real challenge, but to find those consonances because when you have something quite dissonant like that, you have to treat the tones as consonances, and it's a different different style of singing altogether. And also, um, you know that is entirely a sort of European choir thing, isn't it? They have two or three weeks to learn a piece like that, yeah. Um, and that's and you know, hooray for that because you couldn't look at a piece like you couldn't you couldn't put that together on a, on a
2: couple of days could you absolutely not at all i think that's the way he constructed the 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 12 tone row as well did that he allowed octaves um and consonances as well it, it's i think in order to uh, facilitate uh, that sound world which, as you say, you can—you don't quite know where it is because it, it doesn't feel atonal. Uh, and it's, it's two years
0: after the, the Poulenc. I mean, in both of them, there's some real extremes and, and you're not really going to hear words when sopranos are singing that high, but he does keep the texture quite
2: spare at times so the text can be heard. Yeah, it changes throughout the set. Sometimes uh, it's in up to nine parts and he calls for double choir at times, uh, the two SATB choirs. Sammy, you've not heard that before. What are, what's your take on it?
3: Yeah, I really like it. Actually, it's thorny, isn't it? It sounds, as Robert says, it sounds difficult to. Well, it's difficult to listen to in some ways. It's it's a it kind of it's not easy listening. It doesn't sound pleasant in the way that perhaps some Ockegem might or some earlier stuff. But the, you hear the text often, and the the actual harmonic colours I think are really imaginative. It feels like it's very much a piece of its time, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But it's interesting how the, the texture changes the whole time. I'm doing um, Rao Tavara's Miss A Cappella at the moment, which he wrote the Credo to in 1972 and the rest of it around sort of, 2010. And he writes in his note to it. Um, he died in 2016, didn't he? He writes how uh, it's really important to change texture all the time. And I think he's writing that because his mass is not so likely to be done as a liturgical piece, but as a concert piece. And I'm really drawn to that in choral textures that we all like listening to things that sound nice but actually keeping an audience's attention constantly to the text that's a real skill
2: but texturally as well there. if you if you take the harmony away it it just it reminds me of like one of the palestrina song of songs from a texture point of view it could almost it's in that kind of sound world that particular setting because it's it's in relatively few parts uh and it's it's relatively easy to follow what's going on
3: yeah, little trios here, quartet there, and this constant kind of evolution of sound. It's lovely. Yeah,
2: very much a sort of renaissance texture. Mm. Mm. Hey, you
0: said renaissance. Right, well, let's go and listen to
3: some Morales then. That
0: um, The jingle that we had with Greg Skidmore saying, it's a Morales thing. Um, uh, is nicely timed because you and I, we've got a new series, haven't we, Eamon? Although it's not our group.
2: We have indeed uh, this fairly substantial project, (laughs) not to understate it, uh, to record all the masses and magnificats uh, by Cristobal de Morales uh, with De Profundis. De Profundis, uh, an all male choir um, based out of Cambridge, uh, founded by our friend Mark Dourish. This is the first, yeah, the first of this, what promises to be quite a long. Uh, a long program
0: yeah i think it's it's ten o'clock at uh, ten o'clock it's ten years. <laughs> ten, 10 years that feels how long we've been going on today it's <laughs> it's a it's a ten year project uh and who knows these days who can say whether it'll get to an end but they've it's all planned out we know who's doing which and we're doing it together, which is rather lovely so we've recorded the first disc a mass each um and I got to do the magnificat as well and on the first disc this is coming out in days i think or 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 march the first uh sammy
3: well, I was just going to ask, I don't, I've not sung a lot of Morales. I'm, I'm I'm sort of a fan, but can you tell us a little bit about the sound of what it's like for the performers? Well, I would say think
0: Gombert. Think first mm. half of the 16th century Gombert. Uh, Morales would tell anyone that would listen that uh, he was the Spanish Josquin, which <laughs> really probably didn't endear him to anyone. And he seems to have been a slightly awkward awkward get um but uh the music is very high quality it's mm-hmm. proper uh, it's proper imitative polyphony so it's not just i mean people always hold palestrina up as the classic renaissance polyphonist but actually palestrina is a later development these mm-hmm. earlier composers morales gombert crequion not so much Josquin, but the ones that came immediately after Josquin. They write imitative polyphony where all the lines have the same basic tune and the, and the enormous skill, and it is a skill and it was an enormous achievement to have made this, uh, uh, this style, was that each line is equally important.
2: I mean, you say not so much like Shoskan, but actually the mass that I conducted on this recording, the Missa. uh decilia Caballero is very much in the Josquin uh, vein, so quite a relatively early piece. Uh, and there's lots of two-part writing uh, answered by another, you know, two voices. Uh, this dialogue going on between high and low, and then little combinations thereof. It feels very much like it's a, a doff of the cap to, to Josquin.
0: Yeah, it's uh, Desilias Caballero. What a strange thing! I first came across that song when I was twenty-one because there was a there was a Gombert chanson based on it you think what on earth is Gombert writing a chanson based on a Spanish song well of course he worked in, in Spain a little bit but the the decilla caballero Mass, which is four parts is like a sort of meringue compared to the weighty six part um Sammy what's a Spanish cake tiramisu I was gonna say but that's Italian chocolate con churros again of um of uh the Miss Miller Regret, which has been recorded before. Our friend Paul McCreish and Gabriele Consort have recorded it, but um, it's uh, it's interesting because the four part chanson that's based on Miller Regret, which is called Josquin Chanson, lovely tune, um, and he's doubled two of the parts. You've got two alto lines or soprano lines, if you like, here sung by counter tenors, and two tenor lines. So it's quite a thick, thick texture. And we're just going to hear the uh, the Agnus Day. But there are, in fact, two Agnus Days to the Miss de Ruggregg because he wrote a second sort of ending to the Mass a few years later. But here's the early one, and it includes that outrageous cadence with the two passing notes that feed into the last chord that we just extended a little bit because it's that nice. <laughs> Cadence alert! <laughs> Ding dong!
2: <laughs> absolutely. Well, well, if you can't so, do it in a moment like that, then when can you do it?
0: Just, just fabulous. So yeah, Cristobal Morales. Uh, he spent some of his time in Rome, uh, but also Seville. And uh, Mark Durish, who's not the musical director of this, but it's absolutely his baby. He's um, he's put he's uh, having organ with some of the masses, which seems to possibly been Roman practice. Um, I'm hoping I'm getting that right because he's very good on all this kind of stuff. I mean, you had organ in yours, didn't you? Was that an issue to tune with it? Because, of course, you know, you and I do all this kind of uh, supposedly acoustically pure tuning. But, of course, an organ's stuck. Has, you have to choose your intervals and they're stuck with you for the whole mass.
2: Yeah, it didn't seem to be a problem, actually. It was, it was quite discreet. I've got to say the organ uh, in, our, in, in the mass that we were doing didn't find it to be an issue. I hope that is the case when I hear the recording again. It's always a worry, isn't it? And we should um, credit
0: a couple of the singers. Well, I mean, we can't credit all of them. Um, it's a sort of mixed am-am um, pro group. It's got an interesting mix, really. There are people there who have very high-powered jobs as academics, but are there singing bass. There uh, seems to be quite a few ex-York, I suppose, given my connection. Uh, Guy James from the top of the Giswallo Six. That's a familiar sound Lovely uh, there. James Botcher, Jacob Ewins, who uh, does record producing as well. And he's, goodness... And with him in the choir, I really had to have my socks pulled up about tuning
2: because he knows where to put his thirds. Yeah, Stuart so. O'Hara, who we heard uh, in uh, Dawn Walter's piece, was singing as well. Yeah, it
0: yeah, moves around. Look, we're going to finish. We've done quite well not to talk for too long on this. Um, and we've got a final piece, which Eamon, you know much better than I do. This is one of my students that recommended this. This is by Cecilia McDowell, who we had a whole programme about her a few episodes back. If you're interested, do go back and listen. But tell us
2: about this piece. Well, I I just think this is one of her absolute best. This is The Lord is Good. Um, I've done it twice in recent times with uh, my chamber choir, the Thomas Tallis Society, and and this is the piece that people left talking about.
3: So there's a programme note from Cecilia on this who says, I chose verses from the King James Bible version of the Book of Lamentations in order to bring a sense of hope and longing rather than drawing on texts filled with desolation and deep despair. In addition... I've used a Latin phrase from Hosea, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, convertere, ad dominum deum tuum, with which Talis concludes each of his lamentations. The two soprano solos open the work with long, intertwining, melismatic phrases on the word Jerusalem. The desired effect is that the two voices should sound distant, ethereal, and bring a sense of longing. These elaborate lines lie above the slow-moving passages sung by the choir. In the lighter textured middle section, the men of the choir intone the Latin phrase as if enchanting, enchanting rather than enchanting, and the work slowly proceeds to an impassioned climax before making a strong affirmation with the words, the Lord is good.
0: When you have two soprano solos and you really know how to use
2: them. The Lord is Good by Cecilia McDowell. Sopranos Susanna Fairburn and Miranda Lawrence with Sospiri, directed by Christopher Watson from a, a great CD called The Lost City: Lamentations Through the Ages on Naxos. The
0: sort of CD that if you took it to a record company, they'd just say, No, I don't know, you know, apart from Cecilia McDowell and Pablo Casals, who's Dominic Fino, John Duggan? John Mundy. I mean, I think, I think we know who those those people are, but and it finishes with a Mausberger Wie liegt die Staats or wust? Gosh, that's, that's a great a piece. piece. Well, I mean, given what's happening in Turkey, Syria, and Ukraine at the moment, that would be a very apt piece. We could have fitted that in another time. That's yeah. great singing from a, a basically amateur choir.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I think they were mostly... Can you say that a bit
3: higher, Robert? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, the How's the uh, no coming along? I'm I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs>
3: Competent.
0: <laughs> no, that's just you and me and family guy. No one's everyone's gonna be turning off. Um but th- that's a that's a great bit of singing. Um and and such interesting guess Christopher Watson, the director, was a tenor with the Talis Scholars and the London
2: scene for years. Now we think in Melbourne.
3: Trinity College, Melbourne, yeah.
2: I saw him there back in 2019. I had a drink with him. He came to uh, a 16 concert when I was uh, conducting a tour out there. And lovely it was to see him after uh, far too long.
3: Yeah, he's he's missed actually, isn't he, around these parts?
2: Right. Well, that was it. We managed to
0: get through seven pieces. I have no idea how long it's taken. Um, I said it was 10 o'clock. <laughs> we start at five in the morning. And um, be lovely to... <coughs> oh, dear. If I can get rid of this cough, it'd be lovely to see you chaps. Um in the real but in fact we've already recorded you've already recorded the next two episodes of Coral Chihuahua which is going to be on the Bach Passions uh, it's such a great episode we split it in half and that'll be out uh, in two weeks time but this was our Lenten episode recording it just before Ash Wednesday and a happy Allegri to everyone whether you listen to it in in English or in Latin if you keep listening he'd insist most of it isn't by Allegri but there you go <laughs> wants to spoil a good story <laughs>
2: great to see you chaps and see you next time everyone
3: See you next time. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets
2: you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via choralchihuahua.com. Thanks.